passage is 1 John chapter 2, 12 to 17, CSB. I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. Wait. Uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. Well, oh, there you go. Uh, good afternoon, Emmanuel Church. Uh, it is yet again a sincere privilege and joy for me to bring God's word. To you today. Um, let me pray as we begin. Eternal Father, may you accomplish your will through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, Everyone at some point in their life has felt the pang for nourishment. A grumbling in the belly, a thirst in the throat. And whenever we feel the need for food, it's like a feeling inside that drives you to stop what you're doing, leave the premises, and go get that Korean barbecue. In our passage today, we'll be seeing how what we love in our heart directs what we do in all of life. We'll be taking a break uh, from 1 Corinthians, and we shall resume our journey through 1 John. Written by the Apostle John, the letter was written to a church in Ephesus during a time when false teachings seem to be creeping into the church. So far, we've seen that God's people share a common fellowship with God because of the gospel message that they believed, which unites them in Christ. He, John helps remind believers of their assurance of salvation and shows that the Christian life is one that is distinct from the world. It's marked by Christ-like love. Specifically, Christ-like love for God himself and his people. If you're taking notes today, let me uh, give you the main point. And so here you go. God's people have a secured identity in Christ and do the will of God. God's people have a secured identity in Christ and do the will of God. 
I've divided this into two main points. Oh, sorry, two, two, two points. God's people have a secured identity, and God's people do the will of God. So let's start with point number one. God's people have a secured identity in Christ. Verses 12 to 14. I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to your fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. I've split this section into four, essentially four gospel truths about the Christian. And, and point, sub-point number one of those, the first four of the four gospel truths is forgiveness of sins through Christ. Verse 12, I'm writing to you little children since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. One of the most important truths in the gospel is that our life of sin and rebellion against God has been forgiven through Jesus. John gives the reminder that our salvation is not by any merit of our own, but only in Jesus' perfect righteousness and sacrifice. It is there where our forgiveness with God is held secure. So point number two, believers know Jesus the eternal God. First half of verse 13. I am writing to you fathers because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. The one who is from the beginning that John is mentioning here is none other than Jesus Christ himself who existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit before all of creation. Think about chapter 1, verse 1, where he says what was from the beginning. He's making the same connection again here about Jesus being the eternal God. And he addresses this, notice, specifically to fathers. Um, these would be people who are probably mature believers. And they might have been persuaded to move past knowing Christ and onto other false teachings. The doctrine of Christ is central to the gospel and all sanctification of the believer is growing in a deeper knowledge of him and what he's done. A deeper knowing of this wonderful personal relationship that is secured in Christ. Gospel truth number three is believers have overcome Satan. Believers have overcome Satan. Second half of verse 13. I have written to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. In the gospel message, Jesus dies on the cross 
and rises from the grave, defeating the power of sin and delivering God's chosen people from the domain of darkness. Younger believers here are, are people who also are young. You know, it, it is not true, as much as the world may say it, that 40 is the new 20, or 30 is the new 20. I can look back to my university days and, and boast about how much I could do, but today I can honestly confess, I can't do that anymore, right? Young people have this capacity that older people will tend to lose eventually. And so, as they grow in their faith, they also come to see more of the corruption of sin. They come to see more and more the influence of Satan's power in the world. And when they see that, it can sometimes be pretty discouraging. Knowing that Jesus has once and for all defeated the ruler of this world, has defeated the power of sin, can encourage the young believer's heart. Furthermore, in the second half of 14, John connects the strength of young people. See it there. Um, he says, I have written to you towards the end. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you. He connects the strength of young men to God's word that remains in them. You see, rather than their own physical power that will eventually pass away, um, here you see scripture continues to be the guide and guard. Uh, well, yeah, scripture continues to guide and guard believers from sin and lead them to follow Jesus Christ. Um, it's also similar language that we've seen in Ephesians 6, where believers secured in their union with Jesus, you know, they put on the whole armor of God, wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. And then we have Gospel truth number four. Believers come to know God the Father. First half of verse 14. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. Now, just a, just a little bit of a note here. Um, if you see in the beginning of our section, verse 12, little children there is more a general term addressing all believers of all ages. But here, it's a different word. He's specifically talking to young, very young children. Uh, and so what we see is um, with new baby converts, um, when they believe in the gospel and trust in Jesus, they are no longer lost like spiritual orphans to the world. Um, they are adopted into God's family through their union in Christ by faith. And in that, I just want to say it again, 
that John might be really addressing this, maybe this false teaching that you needed to be at a specific age to become a Christian. You see here, the gospel is multi-generational. It's for everybody, across all ages, old and very young. And then you see, well, I can say this to Jack and Sam, everybody else is gone. All right, well, Ella, Ezra, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that this passage means for you is that you don't have to wait to be older to be a Christian. You can ask your parents, what is the gospel and why do I need Jesus? Well, Boaz too. But <laughs> um, these four gospel truths, let me say them again. Forgiveness of sins through Christ. Believers know Jesus, the eternal God. Believers have overcome Satan. Number four, believers come to know God, the Father. These four gospel truths help remind us of our identity as Christians. And this is not the only four points. There's certainly more that can be added here. Uh, and when we look at these statements, you will notice that from the tenses of the verses, um, that John is speaking from the fact that all of this has already happened to the believers. Beloved, this should encourage our hearts. He speaks with certainty because the gospel offers hope of a definitive salvation secured by Christ. And let's talk a little bit more about how this can look like in life. You know, in this section, we can see discipleship is a, and most definitely is, a cross-generational activity. I'm reminded of Charles, uh, who reaches out to younger men to grab lunch and then share mutual encouragement of how we're doing in our week, how we're growing and struggling with sin. Not only that, but here the Apostle John also models what encouragement looks like. You see, for him, encouragement is sharing the truths of the gospel. That's kind of like this miracle cure of the soul. You know, I think when I was studying this, it reminded me of a time when uh, my mom, she would... Uh, swear by this. It's like this, uh, I don't know, it's like this miracle cure for any ailment. Um, it's called Haldi Dood. I don't know if you can say it that way. Haldi Dood. So if I have a tummy ache, drink some Haldi Dood. If I get a cut, put it on. Uh, if I have a fever, have some Haldi Dood. Inflammation, Haldi Dood. Now, <laughs> I may have doubts to how much turmeric with milk and honey can really solve all my health issues. But I can know this for certain, that the gospel message gives us much hope and reason to rejoice. Sinners reconciled to God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ is always good news to the believer 
to those who don't believe. No, church, that our identity is secured in Christ. It should be much reason to celebrate. We have a hope that shall never fail. We're redeemed from a life of darkness and now free to live a life following Christ and his will. And this brings me to my second big point. So first point was God's people have a secured identity in Christ. Here in our second point, um, it's God's people do the will of God. And this one I broke it into two subpoints. Don't love the world and doing God's will. So let's look at the first subpoint. Don't love the world. Look with me at verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A few things to observe here. Uh, one, very clearly, Christians are not to be lovers of the world. So what does the world mean here? Well, this is in connection to really the world and its sin. Everything in it. Uh, think about Jesus when he was tempted by Satan and he was offered provision, he was offered fame and glory and a big kingdom and all of those temptations and lusts that the world is filled with, that's, that's what he means here by the world. And, and you can see this kind of in contrast to, you know, the famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That world is different. That one is to talk about sinful humanity that God had laid down his life to save. Yeah, so these two are just different. I wanted to point that out. And notice, um, coming back into the verse here, that <clears throat> both the love of the world and the love of the Father are mutually exclusive. Believers can't do both. John does this throughout the whole letter. He keeps doing this, you know. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. You know, the love of the Father can be best understood when you look at Jesus. He showed the love of the Father by following God's law, which Daniel helped explain um, in the standard of God's law, the Ten Commandments. Jesus sacrificed his life for God's people. See, in the same way Jesus shows the love of the Father, we imitate that. The love of the Father for us is the same. It's love for God and his people. His brother, fellow brothers and sisters in the church. And it seems that in this time in the church at Ephesus, there might have been this idea going around that you can be a Christian while loving the world. You know, we see this today too with the prosperity gospel, promising what? The love of the world. Um, 
But this is not true. We know from chapter 1 verse 5 that God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And so here, Christians are the same. We do not live for the world. We stand distinct, apart from it, living and showing the love of the Father. Now, John, the author, he, he unpacks a little more about what the world is in verse 16. Look with me. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. You see, rather than giving a list of all the possible sins of the world, John focuses on the internal, the heart. The lust of the flesh can be described as general sinful desires. Some examples being lying, sexual immorality, gluttony, and more. The lust of the eyes can be like covetousness. Think about Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount where he says that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed the sin of adultery with her in his heart. This can also be lusting after vanity, nice things like shoes and dresses, physical features of the body. And lastly, we have <coughs> the pride in one's possessions. Other Bible translations call it the pride of life, which is essentially taking pride in earthly achievements, awards, possessions, fame, comfort, and more. According to the Business Insider website, uh, the state of California has the largest economy in the country, which probably is no surprise to us. But if California state was its own country, it would rank as the fifth largest economy in the world. The reason I bring this up is because for most of us who've lived here, we've been exposed to a culture <coughs> that lusts after fame, money, beauty, and achievement. And we kind of escape it. It's in our work, it's in our communication, and social media trends, entertainment, and more. And the end of verse 16 says that what we see in the world, all of this, it's not from God, but it's rather a result of the world. It comes from the world. And until the Lord returns, Christians will continue to wage war with the flesh and its sinful desires. Life here is marked by a continual repentance of sin that we struggle with and obedience to God's word. 
And I need to be asking the question. We need to be asking the question, um, fellow believer, in what ways do I love the world? In the first Harry Potter film, there's this scene um, where, I'm sure people have seen this, uh, there's a scene where Harry and Ron are sneaking around Hogwarts and they stumble upon this magical mirror. Um, the magical mirror that shows the user's deepest desire of the heart. Yeah, so, so they're like both of them, right? Harry goes up, he stands in front of the mirror. Do you guys know what he sees? Yeah? That's right. He sees his mom and dad, right? And then you have Ron that walks up. And I found this like hilarious, right? When Ron walks up, what does, what does he see? Sam, do you know? Right? Say it. Yeah. He says he sees himself as Quidditch captain, head boy and better than all his brothers and sisters, right? That's what was in his heart. That's what he wanted to be. Now I wonder, what would this mirror show if each one of us stood in front of it? Recently, God convicted me of my own love for the world. I had a lust for security, and comfort that I found in an earthly home of my own, um, lust for stability. I was reading Exodus at this time and like the Israelites, I, I forgot the God who delivered me from my sins. I forgot the God who has given me and met every need that I would imagine. Even coming here, like, he's done so many amazing things. But I forgot it. Um, and I was grateful. I was grateful for God's word that reminded me that only he can truly satisfy my soul. I was thankful for brothers who asked me good questions and encouraged me in the Lord. You know... Sometimes we can walk to a mirror and reflect, but sometimes we may feel like actually we don't notice that we're struggling with sin. You know, uh, sometimes sin can go unaddressed because it is minimized. And there are so many ways it can happen. You know, uh, one could simply change the vocabulary in the world and Satan can be pretty creative about this too. You know, sometimes we call sin weakness or ignorance. I don't know if you've heard uh, this phrase, it was just a mistake um, or it wasn't my fault. Uh, one of the best examples of minimizing sin can really we can find it in the Bible. You know, turn back to Genesis 3 when Eve is tempted by 
the serpent in the garden. Um, it says in verse 6, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Here you've got a really good example where you see all the three. You have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the bride of life. And later on, um, instead of confessing his own disobedience to God, Adam turns around and says that this is Eve's fault. He shifts blame. He says, it was not me, it was her. And it's another way we can minimize sin or avoid it. Church, let me encourage us to be open and honest with our struggle with sin. Bring your sin to the light. And as we've already seen in 1 John, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You see, the Christian life is one that keeps holding on to Jesus, repenting of our sin, and being sanctified into the image of him. Another thing we see about Christians is that they don't love the world because the world is futile. Look with me in the first half of verse 17. And the world with its lust is passing away. Everything on earth is going to end one day. Money can't be taken beyond the grave. All achievement and titles and accolades will become meaningless. And all plans for a better earthly life will be finished. And there isn't anything that we can do about it. There is really nothing in this world that will carry on into the next life. But in contrast, we see also in verse 17, this truth, that the one who does the will of God remains forever. This is the second sub-point of God's people doing the will of God, doing God's will. The will of God mentioned here is more in connection to God's commands, right? Um, it kind of fits when you think about it in the broader context of 1 John. And uh, what I just want to do, because for the sake of time, I'm just going to give us two verses that help unpack, unpack what God's will is. Uh, the first is in the letter itself, chapter 3, verse 23, says this, now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. And the second one about God's will um, is, can be found in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 3 to 7. Let me read it. For this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body 
in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother and sister in this manner. And just jump to seven, it says, God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. The Apostle John isn't saying anything different. He's not talking about uh, an obedience that will suddenly keep us lasting forever. Um, he's not talking about legalism here. The will of God is different. It's believing and following Jesus, which looks like, as we've seen already, love for brothers and sisters. And the promise of a life like this is a promise of eternal life for all who do God's will. Now, for those of you who are sitting here and are not a Christian, let me invite you to consider what is said here. Jesus says in Mark, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We have seen here that there will be an end to this world and God will judge everything according to his righteous, perfect standard. And all of us have fallen short. But God has not left us without hope. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into the world taking on human flesh. He lived just like one of us, yet without sin. He himself was tempted, even by Satan himself. He was tempted with earthly provision, security, fame, and glory, but he never gave in. The Lord Jesus Christ sought to accomplish his Father's will, what his Father sent him to do, and that was to die for sinners like you and me. And like the song that we sang earlier, God's grace and goodness is known in our great Redeemer's blood. Jesus was nailed on a cross and rose from the grave, defeating death and sin, and now offers a full pardon of sin and the promise of eternal life with God forever as one of his beloved children. And all you need to do is put your trust in him and turn from a life of sin to following Christ. If you want to talk about this more, you can feel free to talk to me or any of the members here. To conclude, um, let me just give a few more application points. Number one, when we meet together, um, let me encourage you, fellow brother and sister, to be asking the question first, how are you doing spiritually? Number two, let me encourage all of us to have some sort of accountability with each other. Invite a brother or sister in your life. Be confessing sins 
and praying to God to do his sanctifying work in each other's hearts. As members of Emmanuel, this is actually part of our covenant to one another. You know, in Statement 5, it says this, We will exercise a Christian care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully encourage, exhort, warn, rebuke, and admonish one another as the case shall require. And number three, when we read God's word, let me encourage you to meditate and remember your identity in Christ. All that you have in and through the gospel message. You see, God's divinely inspired word instructs and refines our faith. Regularly reading it and prayer will only aid and be the means through which we are sanctified into the image of Christ. We have this assurance if we are joined to him that no one can snatch us out of his hand. Our salvation is guaranteed and we belong to Christ giving him all the glory. God's people have a secured identity in Christ and do the will of God. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the eternal life that we can have in and through the Son of God who came into the world. Lord, we pray that you would help us grow in our life of holiness. Convict us of any areas of sin that we may repent of. And may the gospel continue to be our joy. Or would we grow in the knowledge of Christ? Oh Lord, we pray, would you bless us with renewed strength and zeal for, for our Lord to be glorified in, as we go forth this week. In Jesus' name, amen.